Welcome back to How AI Built This, um, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, so huge thank you to them. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Sanjay Raksha, Head of Products and R&D at Transwap, an award-winning fintech who have recently opened um, a new hub in Edinburgh, which we'll, we'll um, get to talking about. Uh, welcome to the show, Sanjay. Thank you, Liu. Thanks for being on. Before we uh, kind of get ahead of ourselves and jump two feet into um, Transwap and, and what, what you and the team are doing and kind of what the Edinburgh office is all about, let's kind of set the scene a little bit and, and do a kind of quick tour through your kind of career and background. I think it's fair to say you've worked for some really interesting companies so far, right? I have indeed, quite a few. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, going through the, the names, I mean, a lot of people you would probably recognize. I mean, you, you worked for a big consultancy firm and then you went to AC, uh, ACR, NCR, who people might know as kind of like the ATM point of sale technology firm. It's really sad when you do the job that I do, and I'm sure you're the same, Sanjay. Do you know when you go into like supermarkets or shops or like pubs and you, you'll notice like who the people are that do certain things. So like you always notice when there's like an NCR like till machine. Um, and it's, re- it's really sad that like you notice these things. <laughs> it is actually. And it is, it is also kind of, you know, when we look at those machines, we've got, I don't think they call that card reader, right? Or <laughs> that's even worse. Um, yeah. I think that it's actually been, um, it's been exasperated with COVID. So you go to different pubs and restaurants and like they're different QR, like, like the QR codes take you to different pages or the apps they use to make you order stuff are just terrible. It's just made me get more angry with technology. I don't know if you've been the same. I think, um, I was actually quite, I quite marvel at, at the innovation that, that has, that has happened in the last 16 months, 18 to 16 months, actually, because, um, we've, of course, anything new has has a period where it has to mature. But the fact that somebody had the idea of 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 coming up with a with something that could help alleviate the problems that we that we've been facing because of COVID or even just just day to day life, I, I quite marvel at that. I was using the example of the card reader. It was a bit, bit, bit flippant there, but sometimes I look at a card reader and I go, "That doesn't seem like a card reader that 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 would go in." Um, back in the day, but then you realize it does a lot more than just just read cards. For instance, now you've got the the encryption in it or, or the contactless feature in it. So yeah, I quite marvel at at what what we have at our disposal right now compared to what we did maybe a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely fair. And it's always like um, I think we've said it before on the show. Like it's it's kind of weird how some things they kind of need a certain use case to make people realize how useful they are. And I think like mm. the, QR, the QR code, I mean, they've been around for however long and nobody used it. People used to try and put like their business card on a QR code or their CV on a QR code. And everyone was just like, what is this nonsense? And then with COVID, suddenly you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like you don't have to do, do anything. You just scan it. Mm-hmm. And even my dad can work it, which means it must be quite easy. And that's That's the beauty because back in the day, as you said, you know, there were there were specific apps that were QR code compatible. For instance, when we went when we went into conferences like the Mobile World Conference or or the media media broadcast in in Far East Singapore, we had to download their app, which would then read a QR code and would log us in and and and, and provided us provide us with contacts or or meetings with different uh, attendees or or show uh, exhibitors. 
But now it's just your camera, isn't it? You just you just point, fire up your camera, point to a QR code, and and boom, it works. So yeah, the the ease of use is is frighteningly fast paced now. You know, you don't have to download specialist apps; you just get taken to them. Yeah, from from and almost the uh, points, yeah. the kind of acceptance of it now as well. People are just like, oh yeah, cool. Like they've got the menus on a QR code. That's fine. Like it's no, nobody questions it anymore. Whereas yeah, if you did that kind of pre code or whatever, people would be kind of get annoyed. I think the jury is still out on ordering drinks through a QR code. After about maybe a half a dozen pints, it'd be good to see if you can still aim your camera. T- <laughs> just, just, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent. I know. Yeah, I'm sure some people will keep it, but yeah, it's just it's cool to see like different use cases, and and that's was that. It's probably a good summary of technology in general, which I'm sure you've seen from, um, like I said, working at NCR, and then you went into a company called PayWizards. And these roles, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a bit of you were working in a kind of like product capacity, so like product development, product ownership. Oh, a bit of both, actually. I've been quite quite fortunate because I started as a techie, complete software engineer training, studied that, electronics and, and statistics and computer science. And then um, from there, when you're a trainee engineer, it was hardcore device drivers back in the day when we still didn't have the USB, what we call the head class drivers, which was which is pretty much the umbrella drivers for any, any USB input device. So we had to write specific device drivers for serial ports, parallel port printers, for instance, or scanners and modems. So it was hardcore internals of, a, of, an, of an operating system and understanding what things were. And then we, quite by chance, were very fortunate, especially with HCL, where we were being a service business, consultancy business, as you quite rightly pointed out. We worked with different businesses. We had in Dallas, we had a warehouse management system company, which were productizing the warehouse management and the integrations for what we now call, or we take for granted, the automated supply chain. We make an order, we place an order, and that then gets automatically picked and then shipped. You know, so we, I got the exposure to writing application levels code, so or software or products, and then from there we, because it was a consultancy, um, I got the opportunity to to present to prospective clients because they would they would take their their techies at the time to go and present the technology aspect of, of any pitch. Yeah. So I just happened to, through through these um, opportunities, I just happened to be ushered into an area which was quite niche at the time. You know, you had either a techie or you had a business, but I enjoyed both because uh, I didn't feel, I felt the need that, that uh, if you couldn't use, if you couldn't understand the opportunities in the market, and exploit them using technology to make some money. I thought, well, what, what was the point? It's just a hobby thing. So I managed to convince my bosses to, to keep me on both aspects, involved in both aspects. And 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 I was very I'm very grateful that they did. So I had complete exposure into technology, writing code, project leading, architecting, but at the same time, productizing. The same for the business. So that continued for a bit, for a while, and then NCR came along. And um, they again needed somebody at the time where who was techie, but also had the commercial aspect of it. So project management, product management was a natural 
progression into that space. Yeah. Not heavily technology underpinned by technology. Yeah, no, of so, course. And- so, so that happened. And so, yeah, so it was never only product. It was never only tech. It was, it was product, just tech, innovation, R&D product. So yeah. NCR was an R&D, but we had to carry out the entire pipeline of identifying an opportunity, building, prototyping it, innovating where we couldn't, where we didn't have anything ready-made really, and then productizing it, and then project managing the entire productizing process or solution. So, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I, when you, I suppose when we talk about that now, the kind of world of product management and technical products and project is is relatively common, but it, it, that's more recent. Like people, it was quite often a separate discipline. Like project management was the business people and then the techie people often spoke to them and you would kind of hope that they would understand each other, but it wasn't always a given. Um, do you think you were kind of fortunate in a way that working for a big consultancy where that is much more common, like you said, all the te- like the techies used to get taken to pitches, for example. So like you would get that exposure. Whereas maybe if if you were a software developer in a small product company or a, um, something like that, where you didn't really get to talk to clients, like you could see there was an obvious benefit there for you, right? I think it was a bit of both because um, I was very fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time, and um, there was also a bit of a business or, or, or an organization culture that's in HCL, the the natural progression for techie at the time, or I would say a software engineer was to be a software engineer, senior engineer, then project leader, and then you made a decision which way you wanted to go. It was quite binary at the time, whether you go towards the business unit head, where you were more customer focused and customer facing, facing, or you would remain in the technology management piece. But it wasn't very, it was a very clear boundary at the time, which way you wanted to take. That was that. But at the same time, because we were working on in what we call our on-site locations with customers, anybody who demonstrated an interest in being customer focused, in, in helping out the sales team to pitch also to write proposals, the, te- the technical proposals, were given the opportunity because one, we mean it means that there's somebody there on the ground to to do some of the work. And two was they didn't have to go away and find somebody else. But it was difficult to find people who would do that. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that that business side because I always wondered what happened after we we committed the code. What happened next? So I offered. So many of my weekends and evenings went uh, in, in writing proposals and helping out writing pitch decks. So so I, I took that that opportunity and I kind of put myself forward for it. And I was very grateful because my bosses um, could have easily said, don't worry, Sanjay, we'll get somebody else to do it. But but they, they put up with with many of folly, many mistakes that I made at the time. And and, and they guided me and they mentored me and, and, they, and they put me forward and several mistakes. I made. So I think that was the right place at the right time in HCL. And of course, my, my bosses. But in NCR, it was a very interesting period at the time because, as you quite rightly said, Liam, there was a distinct boundary whether you were in product management or you were in R and D. And we had we had some fantastic technical architects, consultants who were in their fifties, and all they did was 
technology and they did it very, very well. And that is what they were focused on. And they weren't exactly concerned with the commercial aspects of that. They were looking yeah. at problems and they were solving the, te- the technical problems, whether it be the USB. And USB, for instance, was still at a very, very early stage. We had USB version one, I remember, and we were trying to move into USB version two. So again, the time was such that we were transitioning into, as we see now, a more a more technology-led product. But it was still ATMs and technology was was a means to an end. Yeah. So we had that boundary. It just so happened that NCR quickly realized that, hang on, we have to be technology-led and software device drivers, architectures played a very important role, if not as important a role as manufacturing, as hardware, because we also produced our own machines, built yeah. our own machines in, in Dundee. So an opportunity came up there where somebody from the software who also knew electronics with their technology background would also be interested in solution management and then product management. So so up until then, it was, guys, give me the requirements in a spreadsheet or in a, in a format, and we will tick them off for you. If the requirements were wrong, it's your problem, not mine, because I built what you, are, what you asked me to build. It's back to that movie in Brazil when Michael Palin said, you got the wrong guy. He said, no, 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 no. I got the right guy. You got the wrong guy because you sent me the wrong guy. So that was the, the way folk worked. It's like, I'm techie. You get the requirements. You give me what you need to build. I'll build it. If it's wrong, then it's not my problem. If yeah. it doesn't work, then it's my problem. So <laughs> so that was the, but we were, NCR was thinking like, hang on, that doesn't work because there was a disjoint somewhere there was because of the boundary. So they were looking for folk who were going, right, okay, uh, if you were building a BMW, the analogy I always used in NCR at the time was, if you're building a car or BMW with a, with a sunroof and we discussed it, for five months say this car needs to have a sunroof. And then when the product manager passes on the requirements, so solution manager passed on the requirements to the technology function, software or, or the hardware or the technology function. And when they built the car and there was no sunroof, then you could go back and say, but yeah, you talked about it. We never gave us the dimensions of a sunroof. Never, there was no requirement, but hang on. We talked about it. Did anybody think to ask product management, say, guys, we talked about the sunroof. I don't see that feature here, are we still building it? It was to encourage that overlap between the two boundaries that, that an opportunity opened up for somebody who would like to be in, involved in both and get them together. And, and, and I grabbed that opportunity with both my arms, both my hands. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Just so we can we can keep going through and get, get to transfer. But um, one of the things that I don't think I truly appreciated until recently, but in between kind of, we're going to get back to it in a second, but you going back to do some further study and, and something you'd said to me before the show. And But there was a gap kind of in between Pay Wizards and kind of university and then where you ended up next, which we'll get to, um, where you kind of ran your own company for a, a kind of decent period of time. Was that... Was it something you always wanted to do in terms of like having an idea and, and running with it yourself? Or was it an opportunity that you spotted while working that just made sense? So tying it back to what we just discussed about product and tech, the whole whole process of identifying an, a gap in the market, coming up with a solution for it, building the solution and then taking it to the market and commercializing it. That whole process, that chain of activities 
was something that had always excited me. It still does. As you said, you know, now it's it's a given thing, right? There's no boundary between technology and product. It's like it's like one thing. It just happens to be two sides of one thing. So when we were in PayWizard, I, I always wanted to start my own business, but I don't think I have had the capability of an entrepreneur in terms of it requires a lot more than being fascinated by that chain of activities. An, an entrepreneur is a lot, lot more than that. So when Jonathan, who was the CEO of and co-founder of PayWizard, moved on and started and founded, or was yeah, he founded a, a business with in the healthcare sector. He he gave me the opportunity. I was fortunate enough for him to invite me to join the group. There were two doctors, excellent, excellent doctors in there, who uh, along with Jonathan were setting up this this healthcare business. And I was Jonathan invited me to join them as a co-founder for the business, bringing in the product and tech function to that or aspect to that. And and that's how Angel Monitor started, which later became Altair, which still is going very very well now. And nice. So we did that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Kind of jumping into it's obviously the the show is kind of loosely around data, AI, machine learning. It's something you said to me uh, a few weeks ago now was that you just really kind of love data, AI. It's a bit of a hobby, and you've kind of done really well to turn that into a career essentially. And um, but part of that was going back to uni to do a kind of master of science in AI, and then something a uh, kind of further study again in, in speech and language processing. Um, was doing the education piece part of the fact that you just really loved it or did you really want to explore more again more depth um kind of what drove you back to to kind of study i suppose a bit of both actually so so undergrad was was focused in computers electronic statistics so i had that and the engineering aspect of it and i was fortunate to get a job at it because uh, so I continue to really, really like what I did, got the opportunities there. And then the hobby is technology and productization. So the, these two I've always looked at. Not always successful at it, but that's the that's the area that I always quite like tinkering with when not working. Artificial intelligence is a concept and it has a technology aspect, a business aspect, data aspect. So it's like engineering, isn't it? There is technology is just a part of the whole discipline. AI as a, as a whole was always there in the back of my mind. And then I was, I was, I would read up about it and try and understand what it takes. But in the last, I would say 10 years or so, the research in that area began to gain a bit of momentum because the funding started coming in. Prior to that, there was what we all class as the AI winter, where the computing resources that were, were the limiting factors. So what was promised in the, in the late 80s, in the, in the early 90s, weren't being delivered because we didn't have the resort. There wasn't the resources to, to do so. But then resources, computing resources became uh, more available, cheaper. And, and that led to some of those promises being delivered or at least had a chance of being delivered. So funding came back in. So I started looking at how we could start exploiting the opportunities or the or that were available available in the market using some of the machine learning uh, attributes or, or using machine learning. So in PayWizard, towards my, towards my last few years in PayWizard, yeah. there were opportunities to start incorporating machine learning. I did something as a hobby in the house anyway, was try things out with, without much success because 
And I realized that the discipline of artificial intelligence was still at a very early stage in terms of commercialization, in terms of productization, although the research was continually going on and, and producing new stuff. So it was not something that I could master or, well, I'll never master it because so much in it. I would learn or know about it from just reading up online or doing some certification courses. And in order to be the best I could be in this in this space, I would have had to have a learn from others as well. And the only way I could think of, and I'm sure there were better ways of doing it and far cheaper ways of doing it, but um, <laughs> the only way I could think of was to go back to university and, and study it formally, which would allow one to rub shoulders with scientists, professors who've been doing this for years, classmates who were who are absolutely brilliant as an eye-opener as to how good and how much we could learn from, from our classmates and what's out there, what's going on. So that was it really. And I thought, well, if this is my hobby, you know, like my mate said to me, you have a midlife crisis. I said, yeah, people go and buy a Harley Davidson. I went back to university. <laughs> so that's what it was. That's pretty, it's pretty cool though. And like, it's, it, uh, it would have been easy for you to just do, like you said, a course or, I don't know, try and speak to like a few people and uh, and read up when you can and all this kind of stuff. But to, to go kind of, to jump into it two feet and, and really kind of immerse yourself, it's pretty cool. And I'm sure it's helped you kind of tenfold since then. I think part of that, Liam, was also um, something that I'm very much aware of. I'm not good at winging it. There are some <laughs> people who can, who can, who are very good at it and I admire them. So if I don't know something, it becomes very difficult for me to not just talk about it, but to apply it. Knowing that if I were to grow my career or move into hardcore AI and machine learning and innovation and R&D and productization, I knew I had to learn because I'm not that smart to, to quickly grasp something with, with very little information. So I had to do it. I knew it because otherwise, otherwise I wouldn't be able to contribute. Yeah. No, I mean, and, uh, so. but again, that's, it's, it's so good that you know that like you, know, you need to have that level of detail and there is other people that can do it a different way, but like that's that you need to do it that way. So that, that that's, that's a good skill. I suppose, so we kind of fast forward to, to post-university life and it wasn't so long ago, but you joined Martin Curry kind of like in a few different roles. There was like head of IT architecture, then kind of head of AI and UX. So, I mean, was was the goal there to introduce kind of the potential of AI to Martin Curry or was that already in place um, and that's why they needed someone like you to help them? No, the goal was to, to introduce technology as, as, a, as, a, as in the heart of the investment management function. But yeah. it happened in two stages. First, the role was IT and UX, architecture and UX. That's primarily where Martin Curry had, a, had an IT operation. They had Australia, New York, and uh, Edinburgh, but to run out of Edinburgh, and they wanted to to drive some efficiencies in there and and to convert that into a into a more um, a service based for the global as, as a model that they needed that to be that could be replicated in various functions. So that was the first thing, and and, and thereby drive the user experience to so mobile introduce mobile working, remote working, etc. And this was well before COVID. So Martin Curry had the right idea at the time to. But they needed somebody to, to drive that initiative and, and lead it strategically. But at the same time, they also understood that there was somewhere in the background lurking the, the use of technology within their business or, or, or using technology 
or technology having a having a greater role to play in their core business of investment management or asset management but that wasn't still fleshed out so they were they were looking for somebody who had a strategy of who had been involved in in the strategic aspect of technology product etc so that's how I came in after about a few months when we solved the problem the immediate problem that they had um, i went back to them and said well have you considered the role of a wider role of technology as an enabler in your asset man so yeah actually we're thinking about that so great how do we go about it and then, and i realized that they had a lot of data sitting in various um stores if you like but they weren't being pulled together so we came at it from that point of view and then also uh, from having just been to university and having speaking to people i realized that there were also aspects in asset management that could benefit from nlp nlg and and understanding uh, semantic drawing semantic information from from data but also uh, rpa which was not ai but but to also automate some of the mundane processes so that resources could be freed up to do the to drive the business forward so i produced a produced a strategy and a roadmap so where they would go and and they felt yeah that, that could work so then my role was expanded to set up the artificial intelligence function so that's when the head of ai and ux came in and then that was it so we put that through we presented that to the wider group and it was at the time a leg mason group now it's frank franklin templeton but yeah and that's how it grew that's how it evolved yeah. from no, that makes sense. And and one of the things I was going to touch on before the end of the show, depending on how it all transpired, but probably fits in quite well here, is the one of the things that comes up on the show again and again and again, and some of the people we've had on would probably argue it's kind of the most important thing around AI adoption is getting the kind of business on board. And given that you kind of produced the strategy to well, in this example, it happens to be Martin Curry, but it doesn't really matter who it is. You kind of introduce the potential of, of kind of AI and data. Have you found that process, is it interesting? Because I mean, you've done the product and tech split before, so you're probably in a better place than quite a lot of people. How important do you think it is that the kind of entire leadership of, of a business is really bought into data before you can really do much with it? Is that is that fair? I think it's a great question because... There have been several challenges throughout my career in trying to get buy-in from the relevant and the key stakeholders. I think there, there are, it's a very nuanced problem, if you like, because I can say that now, having looking back to where we were in the last 20 years. The challenge remains, but it takes a different form, a slightly nuanced form, I would say, depending on the type of organization. So pay wizard. NCR, HCL, if you take them into consideration, PayWizard or MGT when it was MGT. Um, MGT was a call center business with a tech function. PayWizard, we became PayWizard because it wanted to be a technology-led product business, which also had a call center function. So there is a difference in the goal. There was a transition there. So the appetite for tech being the leader and being the key or the main revenue generator for the breadwinner, as we call it, was already there. So then it was a matter of convincing the board to release funds in certain aspects 
of technology that would drive and deliver that vision. Selling them or convincing them or getting the buy-in to use technology or to focus on tech was already there. It was a matter of where in technology and what would give us the best bang for buck, really. So it was ROI that we had to work on. And I wasn't the exec at the time, so that made things slightly easier because we had the buy-in from the exec and it was just a matter of convincing the board to release the funds. Move back to MGT, we went through a process where we assessed how we could grow as a business and then we came back and said, hang on, it has to be a tech-led business, call center was a dwindling business. It had its day, it had run its course. So back to NCR, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a long way for a shortcut because I come back <laughs> to, to Martin Curry. NCR was a manufacturing business. So they had tech, but it was in manufacturing. It was convincing and getting the buy-in from the key stakeholders to say, right, that tech can also be software. HCL was already there. They knew it. They, they, would, they knew where to go for businesses. So Martin Curry was not a tech business. So in all the other businesses, there was technology, which was leading it in different phases. So the challenge there was, okay, what, how best to invest and where to invest in tech. Martin Curry was, is a very successful asset management business. So to, to get the board to acknowledge that technology plays a central role to enable the business to continue to grow in their current domain and to be even more successful. Now, that's a challenge, a, a different challenge, because the question that guest asked then is that, why do we need it? We're doing great. Yeah. So what, why, not un, why not go away and find better opportunities to invest our clients' funds? What do we need NLG for? What do we need NLP for? What do we need semantics for? Why? That tech could ensure our laptops are running, our Bluetooth speakers are working, uh, the internet is working, and we are able to log in from home. And that should be it, surely. So it's it's a challenge of getting the buy-in and say, no, no, tech can do a lot more than keep the lights on. Yeah, and then and then producing prototypes to say to, to demonstrate what aspects of NLG is going to help in client reporting. For instance, that would take a month. You could get that in a few days. And then you could use the, the time of that team to top and tail the basic report to specific clients. Suddenly, you've got most of the month available now to, to, to search more markets, to search better opportunities to invest without them, that cost, with, from the same resources, without costing extra. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. it's the, the challenge there is more about the appetite for having tech be an enabler as opposed to a tech business where that is already given. It's about what tech to use and when to use and where to use. So so that is the the challenge that, that I faced when I was in Martin Curry or in previous businesses, but that was a nuance. And that's my learning from there. So there is a huge, it's not huge, no, so, so there is a mountain to climb, but it's a different mountain to climb based on the type of business. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that and makes getting, sense because I think buyer, even... Yeah, because even looking back to the people we've had on the show, there's been companies where, like you say, it's a tech business, so it's deciding where the budget goes to which area of which bit of technology, and that's just, it's not easy, but they're already bought into technology, so it's just, you've got to pitch it right, but it should be a bit easier. And then we've had people on the show where they work for massive retailers or, like you said, call centers or or insurance companies where 
tech is kind of like a means to an end. So being a singular data scientist trying to sit down with the CEO and the entire board and, and tell them why you need X amount of money for even just simple things like more AWS capacity so you can do this thing with data, it, that's probably the harder challenge. And But like you said, every, every company is different. Yeah, and but where where I what I felt from is what what worked for me was that I always tied down the investment to, to the value, the return on on the investment, but also the value it brought to the business. So the example I used in Martin Curry was Coke. Would you believe that that a bottle of Coke today we can we can get a bottle of Coke for what pennies, fifty pence, fifty p or something like that. But if but that's because Technology is at the heart of producing that bottle of Coke. If yeah. we took technology out, that bottle of Coke would cost us a tenner. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so there is a there is a market aspect of being competitive in the market of keeping most of the profits or or being able to do more in the core business. So, t- the Coke is not a technology business. They produced. They produce sugar water, bottled sugar water. But technology plays a huge role in them being profitable, in them being competitive in the market. So it's tying down, it's, it's tying the the benefit and the value of using technology within a business for that business is key. And that's, that's what I attempt to do. That's probably the biggest thing for, I don't think most people would probably agree when they've been on the show is like, as a data scientist and you were probably in a much more you were in a much better position than a lot of people might have been because you had that career in technology and product in senior positions so when you go into a business you can probably articulate and, and pick the kind of value add the ROI whereas I think a lot of issues we've seen especially in younger companies where they've maybe brought in one data scientist straight from a master's at Edinburgh Uni and AI is going to change everything about their business and then this one person or this one or two people run a problem where all they really think about is the technological solution and they just want to make it perfect whereas in reality most well everyone hires data scientists to to achieve something so normally it's a return on investment whether that's profit or market and spend or whatever it might be doesn't really make a difference but yeah nobody's hiring data scientists for the sake of it um, right. which is pro- probably a bit, a big benefit you've had trying to introduce AI and, and technology and data to companies. You kind of get that just from your background. I think it's absolutely right, Liam. It's important to understand the problem. And AI is another part of technology, but it's more than technology, if that makes sense. So the attempt has always been to understand the problem, figuring out what is required to solve the problem, and if it's specific to, if, it's, if there is a need to use AI, understand is if AI is required, or if machine learning is required to solve the problem, it may not be. It may be far too expensive to do that. So there is that, you know, I always say, and I always believe that for me, technology is, I love technology because it can be used to solve the problem and to make money. If yeah. it was for technology's sake, which I do all the time, I restrict that to my little hobby room upstairs where I try <laughs> things out because that's fine. It doesn't. But when it comes to business, for me, it is understanding and assessing because I do R&D. I mean, that's, that's what my role is, you know, and has always been for a long time is to understand not all of them succeed, but to quickly assess 
what is has the best chance to solve the problem that we are trying to solve and then to make money or add value to the business because not always value can be measured in terms of revenue yeah but value can be measured it has to have value to the business in some aspect that is relevant to the business so i think that commercialization that that is what perhaps would help achieve buy in from businesses it's uh, as you said it's quite easy for for us to to be completely taken in by the by the beauty of technology and and in trying to produce as you say the the perfect solution but i firmly believe it is the right solution that we should focus on it may not be it may not be perfect but it's right yeah because we don't stop at building a solution the day we launch or the day we roll out there's always evolution and that's what evolution is isn't it so it's trying to get the right solution for that particular problem for at that time yeah no 100% because market changes needs change and then evolve build that that solution over time and and mature it but it's key to to get that entry with the mvp yeah no so, exactly let's go to kind of more recent events so kind of end of 2020 you left martin curry you joined uh, a company called transwap as head of products in R&D. And I think, I, I can't remember if I took this from your LinkedIn or if when we spoke before, but part of your remit is kind of building a, a kind of global research, research and development function, but also kind of driving artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science kind of as a whole across the company. So um, I suppose it's probably worth telling us because you, there's a new Edinburgh hub and, uh, and it's all very exciting. Tell us a little bit about kind of Transwap, the opportunity that, that you, you've taken um, and I suppose the plans for Edinburgh. For Martin Curry, I went to do my other master's, which was to, to specialize in speech and language. And uh, following that, Transwap, Transform is an established business already in terms of scale up. It started 2017, started trading to set up a few years before then. So they were focused very successful in the Far East, but they had to grow. And uh, they quickly realized that in order to grow, to be a, to be a tech fin or fintech, a tech fin is, 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 the, is the goal, they would have to innovate. They would also have to productize. Because in, in, a, in a global create, uh, sense, in a global business, you can't have fragmented products. It's very expensive. It's not very cost efficient. Most of the money then goes there. So they decided, with along with SDI, to set up an R&D function, R&D and product hub in Scotland, Edinburgh. So then they've, they've got the place in Bay Centre now. That we yeah. And I was very fortunate to be given the opportunity to, to lead and set up their global R&D and product function here. The goal for transport is twofold from this. Number one is to set up an innovation, product innovation hub, which with collaborations with scientists, researchers from universities, the University of Edinburgh, and there are various other universities in Scotland, top universities in UK, to also then at the same time, number two, is to put in place a global product framework, a product management framework. So the development still happens the way it happens. Of course, we're going to adapt as we grow. But to set up a framework where the product development is efficient and can be regionalized based on the demands of the market in those regions. Together with that, we can then enhance our 
existing product proposition while creating jobs, of course, in Edinburgh and opportunities for data scientists and for AI uh, and to, to be a formidable force in the business. AI, blockchain, 5G, they are certain areas that we are looking at that would help drive the product proposition. But we can't do especially AI without having a, we would not be able to, um, the, the data becomes a key uh, source or fundamental foundation for doing anything really. AI is number one of that, you know, but we also need data for driving decisions, etc. So, so it's the, it's, it's R&D product, but also drive or produce a data strategy for the group in order to ensure that we have the information that we need in order to, to set up and grow our product and R&D function. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I suppose on the, the face of it, Transwap are a, a global payment provider, right? So you can, you'll be processing payments all over the place. Like you're not, you're not stuck to one market. Transwap right now is a remittance business. It's a cross-border remittance business. Yeah. Now, we can send money anywhere in the world. Yes. And there are some some special areas where we can. So that's our secret sauce. However, in order to be able to acquire customers, so right now, let's say in Far East, we've got customers. If we were to offer this service to UK customers, we would need a license, which we have applied for. So you need an FCA license. Although we can send money from Singapore to UK, if we were to have UK customers, we need license. We need the FCA license in UK. So similarly, if we were to grow our business in various various regions around the world, we would need licenses in those regions where we would like to acquire customers. Yeah. So that's where the growth is. So it's a it's a global business in terms of cross border remittances. We can send money almost everywhere, but from a particular point, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And that's the point where we need the license for. So if we were to start being able to send money around the globe from different parts of the world or customers residing in different parts of the world, we would need a license. So right now in Far East, we can be in Indonesia, Hong Kong, Malaysia, you know, we've got them, but in order to to get out into Latin, Europe, America, we would need licenses. And that's the... Do you know why, I don't know if you've had this conversation, but do, do you know why they chose Edinburgh? Like why, why Edinburgh is an R&D hub? Well, we've got one of the best universities for um, innovation and in space of AI and blockchain. We've got Edinburgh, Glasgow. We've got some great talent in terms of research scientists here. But also SDI played a great role in Scottish Development International, played a great role in bringing Edinburgh bringing transport to Edinburgh. Yeah. And uh, we want a place in Bay Centre, very supportive. So the, so it's not just the education or the research potential within Edinburgh. It is also Scotland's support to innovative scale-ups like Transwarp to grow, to, to disrupt. That is a key decision factor of, of, of coming into Edinburgh. So yeah. it's, it's education, the knowledge, expertise and the support that the Scottish government provides innovative businesses that has attracted transport to Edinburgh. No, that makes sense. Um, and it's, uh, it's always really cool because, I mean, again, the job that I do, when I first started in kind of doing technology recruitment, I wouldn't have guessed that Edinburgh's like a kind of 
or, or Scotland are kind of like a powerhouse of, of technology with the size that we are and you just wouldn't really think it and then you start kind of unpicking the companies that are based here and, it, and it's I mean it's really impressive um, so it's always cool when you see kind of like you said already established scale-ups and they choose Edinburgh as a base like it's it's almost more of a compliment than the ones that start here because um, they've kind of chosen to move here and, and we've seen loads of that in the last couple of years so it's been a uh, it's been pretty cool. How have you found it joining a business in the kind of throes of COVID? I mean, that must have been a bit strange. I think, yes, but at the same time, it was an eye-opener too. The entire interview was, was conducted online. Yeah. And we all met for the first time in December with the whole team and, and we just struck, we just hit it off from the word go. And uh, I think then we worked remotely for a few months before we could go back in. And again, it was as if we've known each other for years and we worked together for years. I think it's, it's the, I find that there are certain, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. So we were quite fortunate that Transform was in its early stages. So we didn't have a large team. We were, the initial UK executive team was hired first by our country head grant. So we had to put in, we had to work towards setting up the business, if you like, of various functions within the business. And that was okay working remote and then getting together. And we had a lot of a lot of interaction through Zoom, et cetera, so remote interaction. Then we got together, it's like we knew each other for a while. But had it been a lot of development, a lot of engineers, a lot of people, a lot of the team growing really fast, I would have thought that they would it would be a challenge. I'm sure we would have figured a way out, but it would have it would have been different to the experience we've had so far. But we were quite fortunate that it was a formative stage of the business. And therefore, yeah. COVID didn't, working remotely due to COVID, didn't really cause an issue. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I suppose to kind of finish the show off, and it's a topic we, we always try and kind of touch on, uh, and it would be great to get your insight on as well. Because, I mean, we've gone through the places you've worked. It's kind of pretty kind of well-known technology companies now working at a, a really fast-growing kind of brand new R&D hub. So uh, when we talk about building teams and kind of the theme of like recruitment, and uh, sometimes we talk about it specifically in data, but I mean, I think in your case, talking about building technology teams in general, you'll have done a lot of that. Has there been any kind of key lessons, kind of key learnings that you've had when building teams that, that you now take into, for example, Transwap? So all the stuff you've learned up till now, uh, is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I think it's been quite fortunate that most of the companies that businesses that I work for have been there for years. So you know, I don't tend to move around much. So what stability, or I would say the the mindset of stability is key, I find. So it takes a bit of time for any business or for any, any, any individual to contribute to the business and to learn, because you've got to learn the business, you've got to learn the domain. And then figure out. So, so curiosity, certain attributes. I, I tend to look at attributes of forming the team, of the, of, the, of, the, of the people we form the team with, as opposed to the qualifications. They come last, Yeah, I believe. Um, so curiosity to learn the domain, to understand, to think of new things, not just rely on the tried and tested because we are in R&D and innovation. But that comes from an attitude, an attitude of can do. Not everything is going to go our way. We've got to figure things out. It's not always that 
I'm going to come at nine o'clock in the morning and that's it. Five o'clock gone. Yeah. Some, some days you even finish at three. No problem. Scotland's playing Macedonia in a very important game. Go home. Go and watch it. No problem at all. Safe in the knowledge that when we need to put in a, put in a bit of extra thinking time, extra effort, we'll do it. So it's that attitude of getting things done. Yeah. The ability. Like I couldn't do what a marketing person could do, for instance. You know, that's not my back. Recognizing that and, and saying, okay, let's leave that to the guys who can, to the people who can. And let's focus on what we can do. So that having that, that the ability to, to one, to recognize what we can do, what we're good at, and what others are good at. And we can get help from. So, and, and then all these then aligns with the business. Because after all, we work for a business and business has a goal. To me, forming a team is a look for, for people who have the curiosity, the ability, the attitude, and do they then align with the direction and the vision of the business? So that becomes very key from an individual point of view. Yeah. But from a business, so that's the individuals bringing into the business. But the business also has to match it, I believe. So from a business, my goal has always been to provide the environment to allow such individuals to flourish, which means provide the freedom of movement in there so that they could explore and grow their curiosity, their abilities. They could try different things out without the fear of failure because there's a kind of role we are in, the kind of jobs we do, failure is rampant. You have one success and that's a Facebook. But but before then, you know, you've got, or, or Google or, or, or a Yahoo or a Microsoft, but there are quite a, that is, that is preceded by a string of failures, right? So it's, it's the, it's the lack of fear, the fearlessness of trying new things out. But again, keeping the business vision in mind and, and perhaps the consequences of that and, and trying to limit that. So, so that's the, it's the environment and helping them succeed in their personal goals. A combination of both, I believe, has helps in forming a team. And then, of course, comes the skills, the the the, the, the qualifications. So, if, if we can, that can be taught. But if there are people who come in, there are certain jobs that require skills off the bat. If you like, that's fine. But it's not always the case. So, to me, a, a good team team forming is all about the business being able to provide vision and an environment where individuals with curiosity, ability, and, and the right attitude can can flourish and help yeah. their business grow because then we all grow. So that's what I feel is important for team building. I love it. I think we should, yeah, I think we should leave that there. That was amazing. Um, thank you so much for joining. I know you're, I mean, not even a year into Transwap, so it'll be really cool to see how that progresses and, and what the kind of, what the hub looks like um, in the not too distant future. Um, so, so we'll definitely keep an eye on it. And um, if there's an opportunity to come back on, we'll, we'll make it happen. But, but thank you for the time. Really do appreciate it. Liam, thank you for, for inviting me over. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure.